0: dwell in you richly. Perhaps you remember from chapter 1 of the book of Colossians, Paul says that the gospel, the good news, the, the good spell, the story that breaks all other stories, the history of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has revealed a mystery that was once hidden. For all ages there was this Hidden reality that God was planning to do, that now is revealed, and that is not only that He is risen, He is risen indeed.
1: Hallelujah,
0: because that was known. That wasn't the mystery that Jesus was going to break death when he finally came. The mystery is that because he is the God who has broken death by being the God who is mad, who now is going to bring you into himself, into his own body, so that just like you're a piece of Adam, you are also in Jesus a piece of Jesus Christ. That means the mystery revealed is that Christ is in you. By his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he has entered into you to make you his own. Having bought you with a price, he has claimed you as his own body. And for this reason, your master, your Lord, and your king, even more your very father, not according to the flesh, but yes, according to the flesh and blood which you feast on on this altar, you are now literally, physically, eternally one with Jesus Christ, and he is one with God. You have been brought into a proximity with the divinity. It's a mystery beyond believing. And yet, again, the good news is that you are given To believe this. So that when Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's not joking around. He's saying that this Jesus who is inside of you, the way that he is inside of you, is by these very words. That the Holy Spirit's work upon you is one with the word which is in the scriptures. Not like two boards joined together helping each other. But the text of the Bible is the Holy Spirit filled presence of God. And as it enters your ear and begins to change the way the electricity in your brain functions, and that begins to change the way that you see and the things that you say, indeed, God lives inside of you. Colossians chapter 3 is going to say, well then, you know, focus on that. Don't ignore that. Don't pretend like that's not there. Don't live as if that's not true. In fact, fight fight back against the old flesh that doesn't want this to be, which is also still inside of you. We'll get to that idea here in a moment, but again, to emphasize from the start, we began with Paul saying there's a mystery, it's been revealed, Jesus is inside of you. Everything that comes next in today's text is based upon that being true. It's not maybe, it's not if, it's because. And there we have our link to chapter three, verse one. You can find that on page 984 of your pew Bible. And I will, as you get there, quibble almost immediately with the first word. Because the first word in English in most translations is, I hate this word, if. If. If, then, you have been raised with Christ. He just spent two chapters saying you've been raised with Christ. He stated that this has happened. If, there's no if, it is done. He nailed it to the cross. Now, you say, Pastor, but doesn't it say if in the Greek? And my answer is, well, kind of. The word in the Greek that's translated as if does more than one thing. We have words like this, too. Words that can go one way or the other, depending on the context. And the amazing thing about their word, if, is that it also is their word because, or since. It's like the opposite of if. How can it do both? How would you know? Well, if you were Greek and they were speaking, you would tell by the context. And what's the context? Well, you've been raised with Christ. Well, then there's no if. Since you have been raised with Christ. Okay, so I'm going to read it that way. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Huh? Because Jesus has bought you, be different. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We confess it every week. He has ascended to the highest heavens. He reigns over all things at the right hand of the Father. How easy it is to forget that. When I get up in my mornings, I usually try to spend some time in the Word, and then that time passes and I move into autopilot. In an autopilot, I go and I do the things that I need to do. Sometimes it's getting gas for the car, sometimes it's taking the kids somewhere, a variety of things. And what happens as I go into autopilot is I don't think about God. He is far from my mind. I forget that He's watching, I forget that He's right there, I forget that He cares. Autopilot is normal but it is also something you are free to fight back against. First, just by believing that. when Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, the place to start changing who you are as you live in this world is to remember that He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And that, therefore, since Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, To see that tomorrow is a mythology, next week is a lie, next year may never come, but Jesus' return is something you can bet on with your entire life. To seek the things that are above means simply to live remembering that, at least once a day, and certainly in the times when things seem darkest and bleakest in this age. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That doesn't mean that you don't have to find food for today, although God will give it to you too. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about what's happening in the politics of your city. It just means don't seek those things as if they're even in the same game as the knowledge you have that you have been set apart and blood-bought by the man Jesus Christ. Verse 3, you have died. What's there to fear? You've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is very specifically talking about his return and your resurrection from the dead. And in fact, if you're not dead yet, then when he returns, you'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye to have a body like his glorified body which will endure forever and ever in innocence, righteousness and all that good stuff. This is what he asks us as Christians, since we know it's true, since he's spoken it to us and we're like, "Ah, uh, I believe that." Amen." He says, well, then think about it. Make it something you remember. And in an age where there are more stories coming at you in one day than your grandma probably heard in her life, it's all the more important to make it an effort to remember, to seek these things. Yes? Now, Verse 5 is going to get into a little of this old man, new man talk. And I really want to make sure we hit this well today. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And it gives a list. We'll come back to that list. He says in verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked. There's that walking language. When you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Now jump ahead to verse 9. It says, do not lie to one another, but it's the next part that I want to see. Seeing that you have put off the old, it says in English, self, the words man, Adam. You've put off the old Adam with his practices. Verse 10, and you have put on the new self. That's not the word man. That's the word renewal or regeneration. You've put on the new new. You've put on the new regeneration, which is being renewed or reborn in knowledge after the image of its creator. So again, to seek the things that are above is to put to death what is earthly-minded, which is the mind you have inherited from Adam, your forefather. It is the old man, again, the Greek, the uh, apotheos anthropos. Um, uh, Did I get that right? No, no. The paleos, there it is. The paleos anthropos, like paleontology, right? The old, the old man, you have put him off. Because he's been nailed to the cross. And you have put on the regeneration, the new, the everlasting. You're immortal now. Seeing that that is true, fight like an immortal, not like one of the others who doesn't think they can fight at all, or maybe even defends their weakness. Yes? You are being renewed after the image of your creator. That's the cross. That's Jesus dying for you. That's the God who is the mind of mercy, who looks upon even his enemies and says, I'll save them. You are being renewed to see like that, to be like that. Even though you once walked and still find yourself walking in darkness, you are called to walk as one worthy of the light. Now, you can take this and you can say, so does this mean, pastor, I'm supposed to judge whether or not I'm really a Christian by how much I do this? And my answer is no, you legalists, stop it. You're born again, you're saved, you're chosen, you're elect, so rejoice and be free. And in your freedom, see the great clarity that there is light and there is darkness and the light is good. So you want to run to it. The darkness is bad. It hurts. It hurts you, it hurts others. So you want to fight against it. Now, in the section we kind of skipped over, he gives a list of darkness. It, I, I don't think you even need these lists. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're gonna look at it because they're valuable, but like everyone kind of knows. How do you know that something's evil? Because if someone does it to you, it makes you angry. It really isn't hard to see what the difference between duty and licentiousness is. It's pretty obvious to all of us. All of us don't mind being lazy for ourselves, but if we pay someone and they're lazy, week, we get pretty frustrated. Huh? It's, it's not that hard. But because of the weakness of our flesh, it doesn't hurt to see it made more clear. So here's this list. Um, The first word translated for you in verse 6, sexual immorality. This is a word that you would know in Greek if you saw it. It's porneia. Pornography gets its name from porneia. Porneia isn't about watching sex. That's pornography. Porneia is about lawless sex. Sex without virtue. It's not that sex is bad. Marriage is an amazing and wonderful thing. Sex is pretty much part of it I mean it kind of is it in a lot of ways but the point of marriage is that you have two people who are committed to having sex only with each other because the kids that are going to come about which is again just pretty normal if you don't get in the way the kids that are going to come about they need a father and a mother and even the secular science is pretty clear kids with a father and a mother they do really well and kids with like one they they don't do quite as well Well, why is that? well because it's lawless they're living in a lawless life and lawlessness brings about less wellness. So he says again, put to death these things, put to death lawless sex among you as a people. Huh? It just means uphold marriage, love marriage, encourage your kids to seek marriage as a good thing. Yeah. The next word is impurity. That word, ath, ath, uh, akatharissa. Now that sounds weird, but I, I think I can connect it to something for you. Ah. That's the alpha primitive, the non, right? You put the A on the front of the word, it makes it negative. Okay, so the other word is catharissa. Like a catheter. Okay? You know what a catheter does? I, I don't want to tell you. If you don't know, you don't know. But, but it cleans you out, right? See the idea of the catheter? So catharissa so means to clean, right? Ah, catharissa means unclean, right? So, so put away lawless sex and uncleanness. Again, it's not very specific, actually, is it? It's like comparing light to darkness, and that's the point. He's he's not giving this really narrow rule, set. well, if I do this right, and I don't do this, then I'll be okay. He's not doing that. He's talking about a general mindset, and things that are unclean. We're not talking about food here. We're talking about evil. We want to put those things away from us. Uh, The next word's really interesting to me. It's passion in the English, and that's pretty good. Pathos In the Greek, it means passion. You got three kind of main ideas that roll together in some Greek philosophy. It is pathos and ethos and logos. Yeah, logos, word, like the word became flesh. It also can mean logic, logos, logic, get that? Yeah, so logos, to think, ethos, like ethics, to do, pathos, like passion, to feel. You see that little trinity working right there? Okay, so he says, put away pathos. What does he mean? Don't feel? No, 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 no. What he means is don't let the passions rule your ethos and your logos, right? Don't let how you feel make you not think and do evil. you got to put down your feelings sometimes, or, or maybe even, I mean, dare I say it, I and mean, it's so un-American, your feelings can be wrong. Like, I feel oh, bad and angry, I'm depressed. Well, well, you're actually wrong. I'm wrong for being depressed? Well, yeah, you can repent of that, you know. How do I stop? No, I didn't say stop, I said repent. You, you can decide to tell yourself that your depression is a lie. Because you're resurrected from the dead, you're going to live forever. It's only a matter of time until that lie just evaporates. So you can at least start believing it's a lie. It still might feel that way. But you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to tell it it's true. Right? Distinguish between how you feel and what's real. That's, that's the key here. Yeah. Uh, next line, or next uh, phrase, two words, evil desire. And, uh, it really just means to crave evil. To crave evil. And he's not saying you will never crave evil. I mean the whole point of this is to expect there's going to be a moment that's going to come in your life where you want to do something wrong. We call that temptation sometimes, right? It's going to show up and you're supposed to kill it. You find that you want to do wrong, and then you, you don't. You put it away. You tell yourself that you can do better. Now, I'm not claiming this is easy, and nor am I telling you be perfect at this. Follow all the rules. No, no, no. I'm saying seek this. Want this as a people. Yeah. And then he lists, finally, covetousness. The word means like Greed. Greed, But notice how he doesn't leave greed by itself. He says, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, in the Old Testament, idolatry generally had to do with, you'd come to a place like this, maybe in a grove outside with some trees instead of in a building, but it'd be like a church, and there'd be some statues, and you would you would worship the statues by offering prayers and sacrifices to the statues and it's kind of like the main way i think we think of idolatria idolatry but the word it really means idol that is the word image and then latria it means worship it means to worship an image and as many of the reformers, including Dr. Luther, were very quick to point out, you don't have to go to a place with a statue to worship an image, you just have to want something you don't have. Picture it in your head and then do evil to get it, and there you have idolatry of the thing, yeah? So while we don't have uh, I mean, a lot of statue worship going on as tangent, uh, it's kind of crazy if you watch some of the, the more globalist things that happen in the world, there was a big I think it was a UN event recently where they're they're putting on this show and they got a bunch of people out there dressed very weird and dancing and they're all dancing around a big statue of a bull. Well, that that looks like ball worship in a weird, weird way. But, but you know, most people aren't actually doing that on weekends, right? So uh, most of us, the idolatry is just is just the greed again—to want this life to be everything I want this life to be, which again is to forget that all this life is going to be is dust in the wind. It's going to pass. And you're walking through that valley of shadow. You're walking through that wilderness of death toward a life that will not pass. So don't forget. Put away, put down, kill the covetousness because it's idolatry, right? Verse 8, he gives more of this list He says, but now you must put them all away. And he says, anger. Now, anger is an interesting word in English because there are times in the Bible where it does teach us that anger isn't bad, not by itself. It does teach us that the anger of man, when acted on, doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. So acting in anger, it's it's more foolish than bad. It also says things like, release your anger, which means, uh, feel it, just don't act on it. Huh? And even it says, uh, be angry and don't sin. Be still and know that I am God. So, so anger isn't the problem, but when you think about what this word orge means, uh, it is kind of something we want to fight against. It's an impulsiveness. Yeah? Anger is an impulsive need to stop something or to do something, and that's where it doesn't breed wisdom for us. To act based upon the flaring vigor of, I need to, that is generally going to bring about the old man's behavior, right? Wrath, the next word, really uh, is, I think it's interesting. I mean, you can take it as wrath. Wrath is like hateful anger, and in that way, wrath is, is a bit more wicked from mankind, but the word has this, this root that means just to be self-intense. Can you see how that might be problematic to live your life being self-intense? It's all about you all the time, and then you just like, share that with everybody? Right? So he doesn't say, don't have this. You're going to have this. He says, when you find it, kill it. Don't let it tell you who you are, since you have died with Christ. Yeah? Then it has uh, malice, kakia, it just means baseness, wrongness. Malice isn't bad, but just wrongness. And then you have slander, you'll know this word in the Greek, blasphemia. You can hear it, blasphemy. Now, blasphemy doesn't just mean to speak ill of God in Greek language, it means to speak ill of anybody, to speak bad words of people. Uh-huh. So you might translate that as abusive speech. And here we start getting into this idea that a lot of what this is talking about is what do you do with your tongue? Now, James is pretty clear on this in chapter three, but he's not alone. A tongue is a world of evil. How do you restrain it? Well, you try to put away abusive speech and then uh, obscene talk. uh, The word is really ugly, ugly talk out of your mouth, which then runs directly into verse nine, do not lie. So notice how slander and ugly talk are both leaning into lying. And he says, you Christians don't lie to each other. That's verse 9. Because you've put off this old man. He's been crucified. He's nailed to the cross and his practices, his ways. Verse 10. And put on this new regeneration, being renewed after the knowledge of the image of the creator. Because you see who Christ is, you may seek who Christ is. Your salvation already happened. This isn't about making a decision for Jesus so you can know he loves you. This is about knowing he loves you because he said so, so now you get to make decisions for Jesus every day. And it's a lot better to, by daily renewal and repentance, emerge as a new man to live before God in your baptismal righteousness than to walk in darkness and the shadow of death with no hope, with only despair, with pride and failings, and nothing but yourself to rely on. Verse 11 tells us here, there is the church. Here is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is again, like you aren't. you aren't the worst sinner. I know you did bad stuff. I know no one knows. I know no one can see, but you aren't the worst sinner. You're just like the rest of us. And that's why under Christ, we are all free. We are all purchased. We are all owned. Uh, Moving on to verse 12 with the put on now, because there's some good to go against the bad. What do I do when I'm not seeking the evil? How do I seek the good? Put on then. Notice the the clothing language. As God's chosen ones, right? Because you're chosen, put on holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. That's a fun one. It's one of the ones that President Matthew Harrison the Missouri Synod, when he preaches, he loves to say this word, uh, splaganon. Uh, it means uh, spleen. Put on your spleen. Uh, uh, but it's the way that the Greeks would talk about your heart. And that kind of like your guts as a whole. You know how when you feel something for somebody, it's like inside your stomach? That's, that's the idea. And, and it leads toward not bad feeling, but good feeling. So the translation is mercy. And tra- translation is pity. But just it's you see somebody, have your heart go out to them. That's the idea here, put on compassionate hearts. Then uh, kindness, Uh, this word means to value other people. To value other people. Humility, we talked about this a moment ago. It's really quite a different word here. Um, Again, it's to, did I skip one? Nope. Oh, that's why, because humility and meekness are almost the same. The word translated as meekness is the word normally translated as humility. Kind of weird. Um, So the word before that uh, means to be beneficial. Be beneficial. Can can you help? Uh, It could also mean to be upright, right? Right? Don't don't crouch over like you're just wicked all the time. Stand up and look around. Can you help? And then the next word, translated meekness, that's the one that means to to be afflicted. To be one who bears affliction. And you get into patience here. uh, Makathumi'ah. Uh, The the root of that word means to wait. Patience means waiting. I hate patience. Yeah, I I get it. I do too. But but actually, it's good. It's good to practice waiting. Verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So again, the substance of all of that goodness is, is to see that you're not the worst sinner and neither is your neighbor in the pew. You're all one in Jesus Christ. You're all fighting the darkness. You're all walking toward the light. So remember that as you talk, remember that as you live. Bear with each other. That's verse 14, then, above all these things, put on love, agape which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now we're back to where we started, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what we're doing right now. And the whole How to Read the Bible series is me trying to compel you by hook or by crook or by any kind of sales pitch or demand to do it at home. Go back this week and open Colossians 3. Read it every day. But I just read it yesterday, Pastor. I know. Let it dwell in you richly. And then notice how he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It might have something to do with the Proverbs. maybe you should read the Proverbs and then singing psalms honestly the easiest way to start reading your Bible is to pray the Proverbs and the Psalms every day put the name of Jesus in for the Lord it'll change your mind it does mention singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs I would say that's the New Testament but we'll leave that for another time with thankfulness in your hearts to God whatever you do verse 17 whatever you do in word or deed do it in the name of Jesus what if I don't know what Jesus wants? Well, then, yeah, I get. So pray to him. Ask him. Implore him. And then seek his word And whatever you do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, knowing Jesus is with you. God has you. You don't just have a God. You have the God. You don't just have the God. You have the God in you. How? By the word. So get more. And then trust that this will not leave you unchanged and the old man the paleosanthropos is being put to death and even as you watch his body get worse and worse weaker and weaker closer and closer to that grave the spirit within you doesn't have to go that way at all you can get more hopeful and more hopeful all the way you can even begin to see that grave is the release point Of the pain and the sorrow and the suffering you can believe that is not the end of you but the beginning of forever that this valley of shadow is shadow that soon will be blown away like a mist but that what comes soon the thing to seek first and set your mind on is a kingdom that shall never perish and again that kingdom is already here by these words (coughs) alive in you in the name of jesus Amen.